0: Welcome to the Horror Comics Podcast. This is Chris. Tonight we're going to be talking about, or today, or this morning, or whenever you're listening to this, we're talking about Ghosts, number 28, from July of 1974. This is from DC. Um, At this time, they were known as DC Comics, but they were actually National Periodical Publications Incorporated. They wouldn't actually legally don the title dc comics until 1977 Um, this issue is under the comics code and you'll notice that if you uh, pay attention to the moral of the stories and how the stories go but the stories in this issue are I'm going to go in order flight of the lost phantom is written by Leo Dorfman the art is by Don Perlin the corpse in the cradle written by Murray Boltonoff, with art by Alfredo Alcala, The Specter of the Iron Duchess, written by Leo Dorfman, with art by Jerry Grandinetti. Now, all of these writers and artists are very well versed in the horror comics genre. They, uh, well, Leo Dorfman actually started this Ghosts line and wrote uh I think like the majority of it but he this issue actually was released literally the month that he passed away and he had written issues up to number 40 which was the final one so he was he was writing way in advance but uh yeah he died it was July the 8th i believe and i, I can't find an exact release date for this issue but It was, I didn't even know that until I'd started getting into this issue and kind of looking into it and looking to the writer and the creator and all that stuff. And I was like, wow, I didn't, I didn't realize that he died when this issue came out. Like, that's pretty crazy. So that adds a little bit more to the, I don't know, to the overall tone of it. And um, we can get into that a little bit later. Here's something that I've thought about for this show. And, you know, I'm, I don't know, I might try it and see what, if I get any feedback or thoughts about it, I thought about covering, uh, picking a comic, um, a horror comic, and doing what I do with it, talk about it or, or talk through it, like an old radio show or something, and then after the comic, actually talking about a quote-unquote real ghost story or like a real haunting or something like that. Um, I say real, again, in quotes, Meaning you know i I'll, I'll take something that is claimed to be real and talk about it and kind of see how that goes uh you know I don't have any real experiences with like the paranormal or anything or anything like that um, The only thing I've really experienced is like some pretty crazy like sleep paralysis uh stuff and like seeing things during sleep paralysis that started when I was twelve and I'm. Um, 31 right now it's lasted from then to now it, it happens periodically and it's pretty crazy but you know that's one of those things that's like it's not necessarily supernatural it's uh, to me it's an interesting topic but you know it's not like ghosts and hauntings and stuff now I kind of can fall into the category of that but I've thought about incorporating that into this podcast after talking about the comics now I, I'm going to wait a little bit to actually start Doing that to give it a shot. But if you're hearing this now and I haven't already done that, uh, please get in touch with me and let me know if that's something you would actually want to hear. Or if you say, hey, you know what, just stick to comics. Um, you can get in touch with me at horrorcomicspodcast at gmail.com or on Twitter at horrorcomicspod and uh, let me know via a tweet or a direct message or an email. Again, it's horrorcomicspodcast at gmail.com. I'd love to know because I want to try some different things. I don't want it to just be the same all the time. Um, I want to incorporate some different ideas and whatnot. And speaking of which, I would like to thank Trevor and Malcolm for uh, getting in touch with me on Twitter and uh, supporting the show already thus far and also suggesting uh, new things and new ideas. And uh, I appreciate that. It means a lot. And there's definitely some titles that I'm going to be seeking out uh, to add to the show. But talking about ghosts, number 28. And getting into Leo Dorfman. He actually, now he had a lot to do with ghosts, obviously. He wrote a lot of these issues, uh, like I said. and But he actually ha- was a huge part of like superman for you know between the early 60s and early 70s he wrote i mean he wrote adventures of superman he wrote action comics superman uh superman's girlfriend lois lane superman's best friend jimmy olson uh the superman family like he was like the guy that was writing all of the superman books but then he would bounce over to you know dell comics and gold key and like he would go over to like witching hour or to like the Boris Karloff horror comics. And like, he was all over the place, but like ghosts was the one that he wrote the most of. And again, it was being released after he had died. And, um, again, this issue coming out the month that he died is pretty crazy because this is the first issue of this book that I actually bought. So, um, it, it's got some meaning to it. And, um, uh, him and these artists have a lot of deeply rooted uh I don't know what I'm trying to say. They're, they're very deeply rooted into the horror genre. Um, and it goes uh you can look them all up and uh man, there's there's some crazy stuff that they've done. They have they have great stories, and I don't want to go on their Wikipedia and just read that to you. You can do that. But uh I, I highly suggest looking all of that up because man, there's there's some uh <laughs> these guys have a pretty great history here. Um, so this, this book starts, uh, in a pretty weird way, it's a one page, like, I I guess it's just like a description of what you might expect from a haunted house, I really don't know, um, again, if it's this, if this is something that carries on from Ghosts number one, I don't know, because this is the first issue of this book that I've owned, and I only own other issues of this, After this issue So if it's an ongoing thing I've just missed it Um, But we start with a one page Haunted house The ominous abode Of the dark and unholy Where next will you find Its menacing shadow In some hidden corner Of the teeming city On some storm swept mountaintop Or in the dark and brooding jungle of the mind of man. Beware of the hellhound who leaps from the stone walls of Belichin House in Perthshire, England. Who knows what prey he seeks? And now, when you say hellhound, this is not what I picture. This is just like crypto. Like Superman's dog. It's just a white dog with, you know, its tongue hanging out. It's just a normal red dog tongue. It's got yellow eyes, sure, and it's pouncing out from a cobblestone uh, brick mansion, but it's, it's not very threatening. So that's where I'm like, okay, where are we going with this? We move on. The Civil War ended over a century ago, but in his New Orleans mansion, which stands to this day, General Beauregard still leads his ghostly Confederate troops through the bloody Battle of Shiloh. And you see Beauregard and his troops having a ghostly battle with a woman standing on a staircase, watching it go down. We move on. A phantom actor haunts the Theatre Royal in London, not as a portent of evil, but of good fortune, for his appearance foreshadowed such successes as Carousel, Oklahoma, and South Pacific. And that's, that's it. That's actually... Um, All we get from that little bit and we never come back around to it. But moving on to our first story, he was trapped somewhere in the spectral shadows of the endless night. Would his torment never cease? Who could put an end to the ghastly flight of the lost phantom? We see a plane in the midst of a billowy fog. Squadron leader to Mother Hen. Where are you? I can't see anything. There's no place to land, and I'm running out of fuel. We see a roar across the panel that we should get used to. On a foggy day in 1965, as reporter Ralph Kelso covered a story in the Hoboken, New Jersey wrecking yard. There she is, the Washington. One of the fightingest ships in World War II. And now they're tearing her apart in the boneyard. Twenty years ago, men were fighting and dying on those decks. Now she's dying too. Suddenly in the eerie drifting mist, a roar sweeps across all of the panels. Kelso says, a, a plane! Right overhead! Sounds like he's coming down! Then a faint and shadowy form plunging downward. He'll be killed! The crazy fool! Don't call him that! That's Lieutenant Carver! The poor devil! But an instant later... No, it's, it's not a plane. It's, it was just some patches of fog. Who who is this Lieutenant Carver you were talking about? The supposed plane dissipates into the fog. Carver, he was a hero who served aboard the Washington back at the end of the war. We see a flashback. Yes, back in 45, he was the hottest pilot on the Washington with 14 Japanese planes to his credit. Now, I'm just going to forewarn you. There is uh, a racist slur coming up towards the Japanese and I do not condone it and uh, I don't support it but it's part of the book I'm not going to censor it I'm just reading it it's a part of history this is what was going on so keep that in mind I don't condone it then one day at sunset the Washington was trapped off Saipan Island we see a dog fight in midair and coming from Carver's plane give them hell, guys. We gotta give Mother Hen a chance to get away. And as the night and fog closed in. That's the last of those nips. But all my buddies are gone. I'm the only one left. Carver was in a jam. In the dark. There was no sign of the carrier. Carver says. half to Mother Hen. Looking for a home. Where, where are you? Far below. The carrier was heading away. Under blackout conditions. We see inside the carrier. Three officers. Fuel gauge near zero. Mother Hen, where are you? A roar sweeps across the panels again. Captain, Carver's right overhead. If we light up the flight deck for just a few seconds, not a chance. We'd be a sitting duck for any enemy submarine in the area. Listen to him circling up there. He helps save our ship, Captain. That was his job, and my job is to protect this carrier and the 2000 aboard her. We keep radio silence and stay blacked out until at last. I can't hear him anymore. We've lost him, sir. Take over the bridge. I'm going to my quarters. Carver was gone. But for the rest of the war, the captain who doomed him kept hearing the sound of that lost plane. We see a captain with a worried face and the roar spread across the panel, thinking to himself, Dear Lord, there it is again. Or am I hearing things going out of my mind? As the guard's story ended, Well, that's a great human interest story, even if no one would believe it. But how come you know so much about it? Step this way, and I'll show you. Moments later, in the abandoned officer's quarters, there's your answer. He's pointing to a picture of a captain. Back in 1945, I was Captain Masters, commander of this ship, the man who sent Carver to his death. But but what happened to you? Carver's death was like a curse, hanging over me. My courage cracked. After that, it was all downhill. I couldn't take the responsibilities of command. I was court-martialed for incompetence, kicked out of the Navy. I couldn't face people, couldn't face myself. I hit bottom. Porter, labor, I took any job I could get. When I heard they were dismantling my old ship, I got this job here as a guard. I wanted to be with her till the end. Masters, this is a fabulous yarn. Even if it does sound way out, of course it does. Because it isn't true. Tell your readers of an imaginary story dreamed up by a lonely old has-been to pass the time while he's on his guard duty. Kelso thinks, I should have known. But then, in the eerie night, a familiar roar, a billowing fog, sneaks in. Kelso, what's that? It's Carver again. But I don't see anything. Nothing's out there. You said, you said it was all a made-up story. It's Carver, I tell you. It's Carver, I tell ya. I know that sound. It's Carver, I tell you. I know the sound of that Wildcat's engine anywhere. Then something seemed to break inside the old man's brain. He runs inside the Navy warship. No, I can't take any more. I'm not going to abandon him up there. I've got to get him down safely. Masters, where where are you going? He was back in a moment, his eyes glittering wildly. A familiar roar stretches across the panels. What are you doing? Have you gone crazy? Don't you understand? They've dismantled the landing lights, but I can guide him in with these electric torches. Masters runs out, flailing the electric torches around in the fog. Carver! I'll light your way. Come in, Carver. Kelso thinks to himself, He's trying to land a pilot who's been dead for 20 years. The man's a raving lunatic. I'd better grab him before he runs off the fantail. And then, in the next blood-chilling moment, Kelso saw it. A winged phantom thundering out of the swirling fog. He sees me. Carver's coming in for a landing. Kelso thinks. Are we both crazy? There is something flying this way. You see the outline of a plane flying through the fog. Getting closer, Masters, you're in his flight path. Watch out or... And in a split second of mind-crumbling terror, we see an explosion. Masters is sent flying through the air as Kelso lands on the ground face down an explosion close behind. We see Kelso over Master's body, thinking, he's dead. For the next hour, the carrier swarmed with police and wreckers. We see two policemen and a wrecker standing next to Kelso. One of the policemen says, The doc said he died of a heart attack. So what's this wacky story about a plane crash? Nobody else saw it. Kelso. But that plane was circling the ship. Someone must have heard it. A nearby wrecker working on a generator says a sound like a plane, eh? Could have been this generator we were trying to fix. Uh, watch what happens when I throw the switch. A familiar roar stretches across the panel. Kelso says oh, Of course. Uh, that was the that was the sound I heard. All the rest was an illusion in the old man's mind. I was a fool to let it affect me that way. But Ralph Kelso was drawn back to the flight deck, and he thinks to himself, And yet it all seems so horribly real. I saw it with my own eyes. And then he spotted it, lying on the flight deck. Good lord, what's this? A green piece of shrapnel. Uh, The fourteen emblems Carver had painted on the side of his plane. Carver was here. He did come in for a landing at last. As Kelso looks at the side of Carver's plane. Yes, we changed the name of the carrier and the side of the wrecking yard, only to guard against notoriety, but the facts are there and the judgment must be your own you dare doubt the awesome power of the supernatural? The end. So, all right, well, this story, um, I actually liked a lot. I like how, you know, the man who gave the command to leave the guy behind was haunted by this decision, uh, to stay behind on the old Navy warship. Uh, and you know, he had different jobs as he said, but then he ended up right back with it. And, going down with the ghost of uh, the pilot. It's, you know, it's nothing groundbreaking, but it's a fun little story. Again, it's not like it's scary or spooky. It's just like, okay, it's a fun little ghost story. It's a it's a plane haunting uh, an old ship uh, wreck yard. So I thought it was fun. And then you have the you know, the reporter that's kind of like going along with it. And he kind of goes back and forth between like, eh, I don't know if I believe in this, but then experiencing it and then pretending not to go along with it and then actually going along with it and finding the piece of the plane. So it was a fun little twist and uh, the art art's great. I love the art and um, uh, it's just a fun deal. I Again, it's, it's hard to say that I don't like any of these. I enjoy these so much. So it's not really like I'm going to be reviewing the comic as much as like... Um, just touching on the themes, I guess, and it's very much supposed to be like, okay, well, you know, this commander, he made the wrong decision, but again, he's haunted by it, and he wants to make it right by sticking with the ship, and again, he gets back in that moment where it's like, okay, I'm gonna help him land, and, um, you know, it's like, well, was it in his head, and like, the, was Kelso just seeing things too, and it turns out to know, actually be a specter. So that was fun, and I had a good time with it, Again, the art's fantastic. It's, just, it's an art we don't really see these days anymore. And, um, man, I just I had a really good time with it. So we're going to go on to the next story, which is The Corpse in the Cradle. The villages are small and scattered in the southern uplands, which rise to the Cheviot Hills along the boundary between Scotland and England. But when winter's bitter winds wail, and families huddle around their fires, they still echo and re-echo with the strangest story of the corpse in the cradle. We see a beautiful half-page splash of um, a village, and it's a village home, uh, or farm, rather, with the, you know, typical hay roof with the cobblestone and the chimney uh, at the foothills there, and the moon on a semi cloudy night it's a beautiful panel by uh alfred well he he credits himself on the painting here as uh alfred the great alcala but he's actually credited credited as alfredo alcala so he's filipino and he came over uh to new york after a couple of other fil- filipino artists had had come over and we're doing great art, and he got a lot of work on Creepy and Eerie, again, Ghosts, uh, Witching Hour, uh, just, like, did his round of the horror horror comics and magazines, and uh, he's a fantastic artist, and uh, definitely excited to get to more of his art uh, as we go through this podcast. So, um, just a great gothic mood setter to begin this with, and this story is interesting, It's uh, we'll talk about it more when I get to the end. But it's an interesting story. The way that it plays out, it's, it's not something that you would expect. And I, um, I love that. With his hard bitten hands, Clyde Jameson had built his house in the fertile farmlands of the lonely pastures of the highlands. He had built it for his bride of three years, and now he was furnishing a room in sharp contrast to its rugged appearance of stone and beam. Mercy me! Are you through hammering for the night, Clyde? So you can rest for tomorrow's work? The finest of silks, the best of furniture I could fetch from Glasgow. Nothing will be too good for my little son when he's born. The first of the Jamesons, the little prince. Now, I'm not going to try to do a Scottish or English accent just because I'm really bad at it and um, I'd rather just make it... It's all just going to sound like Bill Burr or something like that. It's all going to be like Oh, New England! Hey, oh, hey get a rest for tomorrow's work. Uh, that's not New England. I don't know what's going on. I'm just gonna read, and whatever happens, happens. I'm gonna try to stick to the character's voice, and if I get away from it, yeah, well, it's because I've had a couple of drinks, and we'll see what happens. But they're they're building their house, they're getting their room ready for their um for their son or daughter that's to be born. So Clyde's wife Mary says, and suppose just suppose Clyde she's a princess ah uh, you wouldn't be doing the likes of that to me would you but I'd love her just the same because she'd be just like her mother a darling bonnie baby or is it a darling bonnie baby I don't know how you're supposed to say it, it again uh, you deal with different cultures and here I am from Freeport, Louisiana and I don't know how to say shit so Clyde says but I've made up my mind woman tis to be a boy Mary says I'll do my best husband Right now, I've got to get you to bed. Dawn inched up early over the rolling moors and rocky cliffs. Will you be having a second helping a porridge, Clyde? Nope. It's time to begin my chores. My son shan't be, croft, shan't be a crofter like his father. Not a small farmer, but an elegant gentleman in Edinburgh or Glasgow. Now, if it's Edinburgh or Edinburgh, or I don't know. I'm just saying Edinburgh, Edinburgh. Or Glasgow, whatever. I'm just going to leave it there. Mary says, there you go again. Always speaking of your prince. Go on, get along with you. I too have work to do. Right now it's like getting into like a southern weird accent. I, guys, I don't know. There's only two characters in this story. So just know that one's a wife and one's the husband. One's Mary and one's Clyde. It's going to go back and forth. So Clyde says, oh, for the love of heaven, woman, what are you doing? I'm seeding the ground you're furrowing, just like I've always done. And don't be turning me away. The doctor said I was strong. And your prince won't be born for months. Okay, now it's just kind of locked into like southern Texas, southern Belle. So sorry, y'all from Scotland and England who are listening and being like, Jesus Christ, this is not what we talk like in the Cheviot Hills. And while the warm summer sun glazed the fields of wheat and barley. Yeah, they'll be needing shearing. I'll tend to it one of these days. We got us some new lambs I see too. "'Won't be nothing much for me to do after that, Mary, "'until it's time to harvest the crops.' "'So I was thinking, thinking what?' "'I was thinking, no, I made up my mind. "'Going over to the Firth of Tay "'and shipping out aboard of one of them salmon ships. "'But whatever for? "'I can fetch a lot of money as a fisherman, "'and that I need if I'm to provide my young'in "'with all the goodly things he's entitled to. Well, husband, you're a good man, "'but most of the year your brow is sweated, "'hands cracked and gnarled from labor.' Child shall have, have enough. I feel like if you ever saw Ozark on Netflix, the, uh, the the couple that owns the farm and all the land, I feel like that's what my voice is going towards is them. Oh, the child shall have enough. Actually, you know what? Fuck it. I'm going with that for now. So she says, Not enough. Do not have me shirk. <clears throat> Sorry. Wrong thing. I'm going to start over. I'm going to start with her. Ah, husband. You're a good man, but most of the year your brows sweated. Your hands cracked and gnarled from labor. The child shall have enough. Not enough. Do not have me shirk my responsibility, woman. Now, back to the house with you. You must have your rest. Look there, a raven. Tis an omen of bad luck. There's a raven on the roof of their house. Away with you, you ominous wing, messenger of the devil. Calm yourself, Clyde. "'Tis only a lost one seeking refuge. You don't believe in superstition, a grown man like you.'" We get an ad for reel-to-reels and eight-tracks, which, children, if you don't know what that is, you don't deserve to. But as if to underscore the foreboding in his soul, the sky next morning had turned slate gray. Now, here's the thing. We skip ahead. Clyde is leaving for this salmon ship, and he's, you know, saying, "'Hey, you know, the doctor's gonna check in on you.'" and, you know, just just take care, be safe. And he takes off, and in literally the next panel, he's returning. Now, as the summer waned and the golden grain smothered fields waited to be harvested, Mary, I'm back. I'm home, Mary. Are you asleep, woman? Don't you hear me? And he's searching through the house, and he doesn't find her while we go out in a storm in the field with the sheep. And he says, Mary, oh, Clyde, you're home, home at last. You all right? And the child. What are you doing out th- with the grazing sheep when the time's so close to the baby? Oh, a storm's coming up. And I wanted to get the sheep into the barn. This little one broke a leg. Don't you love how I sound like I've been smoking for 40 years? We cut to Clyde and tucking Mary into bed. And a wonderful flannel throw, by the way. I'm so tired, Clyde. So happy you're home. But my body aches with fatigue. I'm home. Put your mind at ease. All's well. That raven again has come back to haunt us. And you see the raven in the window. Well, Clyde runs out of the room, going to get his rifle, starts to put on his jacket. And Mary screams, Clyde! Sorry, that was wrong. It's not Clyde. It's Clyde! I feel such pain. Such a terrible burning in my stomach. Because, you know, they're from England or Scotland, so this is what they sound like. So Clyde says, "'Tis the time, my little princess, to be born. I must fetch the doctor at once." The storm slashed at him. The winds whimpered as he tore through the countryside until we see Clyde with the doctor on a carriage. "'Can you go faster, doctor? The woman is in agony. Easy, man. You're acting like every father have his first born.'" They arrive at the house, entering. Clyde says, "'We're here, Mary. The doctor's come.'" Everything will be all right. I'll be waiting to see my bonnie prints. And that night, Clyde crossed the narrow glen, climbed the rolling strath studded with purple heather to the rock cliffs to blow his pipes, to announce his triumph to the world. And doing exactly what I would think everyone in Scotland would be doing, which is just 24-7 on a hill playing bagpipes. Like, that's just what I imagine happens. Like, if there's something else that's to be done, please let me know. Or don't, don't break my heart, because that's what I want to be happening over there, literally all day every day, bagpipes on hills. So we move very quickly, and in the evenings to come, with his work done, he would sit smugly by the fire, snug in the bosom of his family, Clyde says. If the little talk's asleep, Mary, sorry, wait, wrong voice. If the little tyke's asleep, Mary, shall I put him in the cradle? He reaches his arms out as he stands up, and Mary sits in a chair with the baby, both of them in all white, with white hair, perhaps translucent. Yes, Mary had died, as did the baby, in childbirth, but after years of hope and toil, poor Clyde was unable to accept his bitter fate. To reconcile himself to the fact, we see Clyde putting the baby into a cradle. For in his numbed, grief-shattered mind, they weren't a figment of his imagination. His wife and that corpse in the cradle actually existed. The end. So that was Dark, and uh, I will say this. This is not your typical horror story. It's not your typical ghost story. It's so much character building and, like, relationship building, and literally the last page, which is three panels, you get this death of his wife and child and their ghosts. Like, I'm wondering where they're going to go with it. You know what I mean? The whole time, because it's spending so much time, and they don't have a lot of time because it's an anthology. they they're spending so much time developing these characters and you have, you know, him going to the doctor and coming back. It's like, where are they going to go with it? What are they going to do with it? And, uh, I mean, you, you know, from the title, you, you know what they're going to do, but you don't know how they're going to get there. And it's a strange way to get there, but I have to applaud them because I was, again, right before I turned this last page, I'm like, what? how is this going to happen? Is there going to be a demon involved? Is the Raven going to come and like peck someone's eye out? Well, no, when you see him say, well, well, should I put him in his cradle? Well, behind Mary and the ghost baby, in the window, you see that raven again, and they don't actually take the time to point it out. You just have to see it if you see it. And I thought that was really cool. It's a creepy little touch. And uh, now, this again, this isn't your typical scary ghost story, and that's fine. It's a completely different thing. Um And I actually really enjoyed it by the end. I I liked that they didn't um, try to like spook you beforehand. They just let it kind of end that way that like he just kind of got stuck in that moment. He did. He worked so hard to have this child and could not let go of the fact that they had both died and he's he's living alone and it's all in his mind. Or maybe it's not maybe they're actually haunting and they're there with him. But either way, I liked that a lot, and um, I don't know. I thought it was cool and a different approach to it. Now we're moving on to the final story of the issue, and I'm actually going to I'm going to read the the lead-in narrative and the title, but I'm going to skip the first panel that you see because it's a spoiler. I feel like it was meant to be the cover of the entire issue because the cover of this issue uh mimics it but changes the face of one of the characters and changes the color of the outfit and the hair and the face and the color of the ghost that's bleeding and I posted the the picture on Twitter at uh horror comic Pod on Twitter so that's the cover uh but the actual characters in the story look Quite a bit different from what you see on the cover. So, again, spoilers. And I'll come back at the end and tell you what this was. But, just for anyone who hasn't read it. In all the people's republic, no one was more tyrannical, more pitiless than Jan Rasik until he came face to face with the savage she-thing they called the Spectre of the Iron Duchess. We see a cargo truck overturned on the highway. Minister of Transport, Jan rasik was known throughout the country as a harsh, task- harsh taskmaster, a man of towering rages. This is the sixth truck wrecked and looted on this mountain road. It's sabotage. Somebody will be shot for this. but but, comrade minister no mortal being is to blame one of the men traveling with him points up to the castle looming above there's a curse on this road they say that centuries ago an evil duchess lived in that deserted castle she robbed every passing caravan to this day her ghost takes a toll from the traffic that goes by bah an idiotic tale I say someone is hijacking our trucks and hiding the stolen cargo in that old stone pile. But, comrade, we've searched the castle time and again. There's no trace of the vanished truck drivers or the cargo. I still say the enemies of the state are responsible. I'll investigate this personally. It was later in the library of the local village that Rasik found a puzzling clue. In the library, he thinks to himself, Hmm... This old history does mention a robber, noblewoman, a ruthless she-devil called the Iron Duchess. It says her armor-clad ghost will haunt that road as long as the castle stands, stone on stone. As he walks down the street at night, I have it. The saboteurs are using that ridiculous ghost story as a cover for the raids on my transport trucks. They underestimate Jan Rasek. Have a surprise for him. Two nights later, a truck rumbled up the dark mountain road. It's Jan Racic. I learned how to handle situations like this when I worked in the underground during the war against the Nazis. Let us see if some of those saboteurs can pirate a truck away from me. Then, in the dead of night, he knew the icy chill of death. We see a yellow, foggy substance begin to overtake Jan Racic. Ghostly hands, gripping the wheel, trying to take it from me. We see a ghostly figure, begin to take over the will. As Jan Raisick says, It's the Iron Duchess! Ah! But even in the midst of his fear, Raisick fought back. No! Ghost demon! Creature of hell! No one takes the will from Jan Raisick. The ghost begins to flee. And then, abruptly, the struggle ended. Jasek thinks, I'm winning! Winning! She's starting to vanish! Another moment and she'll be gone! Jasik l- gets out of his truck and looks up at the mansion then there is a ghost but I've beaten her I've defeated the Iron Duchess but what of the drivers who will follow after me without an iron will like mine how can they resist the power of a ghastly phantom no there's only one way to eliminate the spectre permanently short days later at a meeting of the National Council Jacek's talking to the council and according to the legend the Iron Duchess will prey on her victims as long as their castle stands a councilman who looks kind of like Lex Luthor, but a little bit fatter. Ridiculous. Comrade rasik uses this story of a deadly phantom to hide his failures as a minister of transport. Another councilman says, rasik has outlived his usefulness. He should be replaced. The other councilman says, Even if his story were true, how can we admit to the world that we the council believe in ghosts? But there was one friendly voice. A man who looked oddly like Claude Rains. Rasik, we of the old peasant stock know how many of those old legends are true. But you'd better act quickly, or your enemies will throw you off the council. Rasik leaves the National Council, thinking to himself, "Yes, my career hangs in the balance. Either I destroy the curse of the Iron Duchess, or she destroys me." Two nights later, on the mist mountain road, Jasik drives the truck thinking to himself. The truck can hardly make it up the grade. It's so overloaded. But this is one cargo that will reach its destination. There it is, the layer of that phantom Hellcat. What would happen if she suddenly appeared? He's approaching the mansion. He's thinking to himself as he's in the back of the truck. RASIK doesn't fear the Iron Duchess. Am I not bringing her a gift? Yes, once I start the motor again, a load of high explosives will be headed right to her castle. This delayed action fuse will give me a chance to get off the truck in time. He lights a fuse heading towards explosives in the back of the truck. Suddenly, fearfully, the, the truck, it's, it's moving. Who started the motor? And as a mindless terror gripped him, he peeks through the window into the cab of the truck, seeing the Iron Duchess taking the wheel. I knew you would return like me you are hard ruthless a man who must win we make a splendid pair it was then that he realized her satanic purpose she she's staring off the road to go over the cliff no not after all my work my planning i've got to get the truck back on the target now rasik here is actually physically pulling the Iron Duchess off the wheel and 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 pulling her away from it. So he is willing himself against this specter. Gotta hand it to the guy, he is really throwing this ghost physically, literally, around. His iron will was his only weapon. Yet he defied the powers of hell itself. Fool, you can't win. <laughs> As the truck enters the mansion, he thinks, No one defeats Rasik. Your castle must be destroyed, even if it costs me my. An explosion takes over the entire property. Shrapnel flies through the air. Smoke billows. The castle is destroyed. It was days later that a truck convoy waited on that mountain road, and in the traffic, folks were complaining. Hey, what's the, what's holding up thing, what's holding things up? What are we waiting for? They told us this road was safe now. I understand they're holding some kind of ceremony up ahead. We see Claude Rains and the members of the council, but Claude Rains talking. And I don't remember the voice I had for him, so I'm just going to make a new one. Now that a castle is destroyed, comrades, the Iron Duchess can harm no one. The road is safe. Let the first vehicle pass. Yes, by macabre irony the first vehicle to make the journey in safety was the hearse that bore the remains of Jan Rasik. But then, had not Rasik already paid the toll, demanded of all who pass the portals of a ghost castle. The end. Next issue on sale during the first week of May. I'm guessing of 1974. Now, there is a uh, a backup story. It's a... um. It's a full-on prose story, but it would be a lot longer to read that, and there's only one panel of a police officer and what looks like a lawyer. I'm not going to read that. I'm going to save that for you who own this book or you who are going to seek it out. Hopefully, you will find it in a dollar bin or a back-issue bin somewhere. I actually, like, I, I don't know. I really enjoyed this story of Jan Rasick as it was like he didn't believe. It was like the went against the cliches of, like, I don't believe in this ghost and then like the ghostly thing happens and he's like no it was just the wind no like he encounters the ghost and then he's like okay yep it's a ghost hey look everybody look we have this ghost and we have to fight against it and you still have the council that's like oh you're crazy but then again going against cliche you still have the one councilman that's like hey you know what you're right and the people in this area believe you but you got to do what you're going to do quick. And then he actually goes after the ghost and sacrifices his life to take it out. It's like, it's cliche while also going against modern cliches in a really cool way. I don't know. I thought it was really cool. So I liked it. I enjoyed it. And again, I'm going to be hard pressed to like not enjoy one of these horror comics. So I'm not going to, obviously, like I said, we're not reviewing these. It's more of just like, just having a good time with them. And um, I don't know, you notice... You do notice that, like, you know, it's it's the Comics Code on these. So it, it, it's a stark contrast from, like, the dire situations of, like, a creepy magazine and the very moral situations of the comics that are approved by the Comics Code. And, I, you know, I, I will probably do an episode on the Comics Code, but I will never be as in-depth... As I talked about before, I think on the last episode of Chris and Reggie's Cosmic Treadmill, they do like a full on like five episode coverage of the comics code and like how it started and how what was like going on during it and then after. Um, I will cover it at some point, but not in that depth. So I would like to uh, send you their way. Please go check out Chris and Reggie's Cosmic Treadmill because it's not just Comic Scope. They, they cover all kinds of awesome, interesting stuff. They're actually a huge inspiration for me to do this podcast. Now, it's a little bit different because I'm just, you know, I'm one guy. And they, uh, they really do a lot of research into what they do. They dig into their uh, creators, super in-depth. I do this while my son is taking a nap. So (laughs) I've got about two hours to make this happen. uh, And that is if the other podcast isn't in need of editing or whatever. So, you know, thank you all so much for, for hanging out and listening. And I hope you all enjoy this format. Again, if you have suggestions, recommendations, comments, please, 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 if you're on iTunes, leave a review, leave a comment. If you want to directly talk to me, uh, hit up horrorcomicspodcast at gmail.com or at horrorcomicspod on Twitter, and I would love to hear from you. Seriously, let me know what you want me to talk about. If there's books that you you love, horror comics that you love, uh, please send them my way. I'd love to go find them if I don't have them and talk about them. And uh, if you have suggestions about the format of the show, uh, trust me, it's going to change over time. I'm doing the kind of radio play thing for now. Uh, I do want to get more people involved as far as more discussion wise and talking about history and just walking through the story and having conversations about it. Uh, But for right now, I'm having a good time doing the kind of, uh, you know, voiceover sort of thing. So it's fun to do. And I hope you enjoy it. Thank you all so much for listening. And until next time, please stay spooky and keep on reading those horror comics.